On this show, we're discussing the 1970s rivalry between Formula One drivers James Hutt and Nicky Lauda. Because we're talking movies, we're talking Rush. Starring Chris Hemsworth, Daniel Brühl, and Olivia Wilde. Written by Peter Morgan and directed by Ron Howard. Men love women, but even more than that, men love cars. Sex, the breakfast of champions. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of how'd you like that movie tonight we're talking about the ron howard racing film rush from 2013 so scott take us away i'm gonna take i'm gonna take a step back on this one chris i'm like because this movie is only eight years old and is apparently one of your favorite movies Mm -hmm. like i need i need to know what puts this film apart from you know, the film that you jizz over every night. Ah. You know, the one about the Navy pilot. Yes. And one of Charlie Sheen's best performances. So, Chris, <laughs> what made this movie... Better than Hot Shots? Well, well, better than Hot Shots, man. So, I mean, since you're going to lead in that way, that's... Uh, I actually have a quote to step off right away on that. And I know you're going to make fun of me because it's from Nell Minow from Movie Mom. I don't know, man. She's still considered a top critic on Rotten Tomatoes. But what she says is... The British Hunt is maverick to the Austrian Lauda's Iceman, the Michael to his Sonny, the Id to Lauda's Super Ego. And I'm like, 100%, this is like Top Gun, but with Formula One cars, except this is real. Well, um, like, I mean, Top Gun's kind of real in my imagination, but like... So why why is this film, like, why do you want, like, <laughs> this the... Is, <laughs> this is Days of Thunder, except, you know, based on real life. Except that it's not. Because it's two, it's two drivers that hated each other. And then at the end, you know, well, they kind of like each and other. And Days of Thunder is basically also Top Gun, except with NASCAR, right? So it's uh, it's a, like a triangle. Um, so you want it, you want like a quick rundown of like why this is one of my favorite movies, or it's like in my top, um, like rewatchables or what? Yeah, like just because it's so recent. To, yeah, so just because this film is recent, like eight years old, for you know for this month. Being our second you do know, you do know that they make desk. you do know that they make like good quality films that are recent, right? <laughs> they do. Like it doesn't to, have to, to be, be from one of your favorites. Yeah, no, no, I one hundred percent understand. But to be, you know, because you're, you know, you're the cinephile and like in a dirty way too. So <laughs> that that's what made, would make me think that all of a sudden we would be like bye bye baby. You're like, I want to talk about that or let's talk about Nosferatu from <laughs> 1903. So that, like to me, when you brought up this film and don't get me wrong, it is a good film. I was super surprised that it is one of your favorite movies. So if you've been listening to this show or if you're like Scott and have had to listen to me, uh, you'll, you'll know that I talk about films that are what I, that I consider like a perfectly constructed film. And it usually includes everything from like your scoring your casting, your cinematography, your story, like everything is just perfectly constructed. And I mean, I really like cinematography, uh, but I also like narrative dramas and this has all of that, like, and, and we're, we'll dig into some of these aspects, but I mean, it's beautiful to watch. 
It's based on a true story, which is almost like truer than fiction. Although in this film, they make them a little more adversarial than they were in real life. Like uh, James Hunt actually had stayed with Nicky Lauda when they were doing Formula 3. Um, it's got the fucking amazing score. It also has mu- like fantastic music supervision <clears throat> because it's set in the 70s. So you got like David Bowie and all this like very cool 70s era rock and roll going on. I mean, beautiful wardrobe. Like it's just it's a pleasure to watch. Uh, it's paced properly. The editing is fantastic. And again, like, we're going to get into each one of these things, uh, talking about like, you know, the director of DOP and stuff like that. So it's just, it's just a beautifully, you know, it's a beautifully created film. And that's why it's one of my favorites. Like, I don't know. Those are kind of broad strokes. Yeah. And that's all you know how to do is broad strokes, right? You just can't, (laughs) (laughs) you just can't hit the point sometimes. That's right. That's (laughs) right. It's a myth. It's a myth. But yes, it is it is beautifully crafted film. And the thing that's interesting, like in 2013, like this was this landed 100 for domestic. What you're talking about, uh, like money? Justin, yeah, Justin. In all of 2013, this was for top grossing film. This landed one at 100. Oh, in the top 100, it was number 100. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, literally number one hundred. Okay. After Earth, which is you know that Will Smith movie that's considered a bomb. Yep. Made more money than this movie. Okay. Are we having the conversation about like if a movie doesn't make a bazillion fucking dollars, it's not good? Like, is that where we're we no, going through I, that I, shit again, or what? No, no, it's not. It's not that. I'm actually going to circle around to this. I just wanted because you know it made a hundred. It made a hundred million dollars in the box office, roughly, right? Like ninety nine million. Like that's what it made on a thirty-eight million Give dollar budget. On a thirty-eight million, so it's not a, yeah. it's not a fucking bomb by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's not a bomb. Okay, so keep going. I, okay, I, no, no, no. I'm gonna. I, I want to circle back because uh, once we get to Ron Howard himself, this is where I'm kind of. I want to circle back to like this film, like where it, like his films land, kind of in terms of grossing. Okay, but for for yourself like what what was the thing that drew you the most and has drawn you the most to this film like okay is it chris hemsworth again <laughs> not wearing a fucking shirt well I, I, I mean i hope he got that message that you sent when we did uh what is it fast times at the what is it the el rio or whatever yeah uh when you were like you know, El Royale. El Royale, yeah. that whole thing about him being like uh, subjected to his future self having to look at that body that he had shirtless in all his movies. Like, it's unfair to him. Um, this film literally opens up with. I was just going to say that. that, that that's, they're just like, we're just going to get it over with, right? Now. So, yeah. There's that, our money shot. That early sex scene with like Natalie Dortmer, but just even the way he comes in. <laughs> And she's like, uh, you know, what happened? Oh, I got in a fight with someone about what? Oh, his wife. Why? What did you do? Nothing that she didn't ask me to do. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Gentlemen, start your fucking engines. Um, So, I mean, I knew nothing about this film. It was one of those things where I just kind of stumbled upon it. And I was just struck like right. like it, It's it's high octane basically right from that opening scene, right? Like when that's that's how your film opens up with like a sex scene in the shower. And this guy basically saying like the closer you are to death, the more alive you feel. It's a wonderful way to live. And it's the only way to drive. And you're just like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm in. And then like 
the way they shoot the racing too is you're right down at the like wheel level. When I explain this movie to people, I often talk about like even like watching it on a small screen, like the the sound and and the cinematography along the wheel wells and stuff like that. You can almost taste like petrol and and rubber in your mouth. Like it feels like you're like at a Formula One race or something like that. Like it's just they did a such an amazing job shooting the racing in this. And the fact that like this story is fucking awesome. Like, hold on. So I don't know. Do you want me to just keep going or? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, just, just go for a second. But um, the thing that I want, because this is one of your favorite movies, like obviously you didn't, you don't watch it very often because it wasn't just one sex scene. This guy fucking marathon. Oh, no, no. I'm just beginning. talking about that. <laughs> That's how your movie opens with like sex scenes. It literally. Yeah, but it, it plays into um, later on kind of the controversy, be- not the controversy, but the antagonistic nature between yeah, yeah. the two drivers. 100%. Because when, because when Nikki Louder at the beginning wanted to date the one track girl. Manager, his, the track manager, yeah. Yeah, the, his 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 teammate was just like, you might not want to do it because her last boyfriend was James Hutt, and he's just talking about his sexual prowess. And you're like, that's how this film made like was <laughs> started with this guy going for like three nights in a row. Yeah, and the, and li- the line knowing- is basically like, he's a good driver, but a fabulous fuck. And you're just like, that's a dude talking about another dude as like advice. <laughs> to another dude right like you don't want to go there because you'll never be able to like fucking sound but so just i did some like basic research on like lauda and and on james hunt fuck that was james hunt james hunt i thought you were gonna say about his stamina no (laughs) but that actually comes up james hunt there like i read this uh story about he basically goes to bed like you know picks up this girl that basically looks like stevie nicks uh, and like, you know, has sex with her all night up drinking, you know, partying and stuff gets up in the morning with no sleep, gets in a fucking car and like wins a Grand Prix like that. The way they showed James Hunt is actually anything you read on James Hunt. They're like, yep. And same with Nikki Lauda, like Nikki Lauda was like, uh, like the, the cool calculating like German racer. And that's why that whole dynamic was so exciting for fans, even if it was like hyped up. Um, like they didn't actually di- you know, dislike each other as much as it's, it shows in the film, but that it's like the polar opposites of these two drivers. You know what I mean? No, like 100%. Like if anybody ever makes a film about our podcast, <laughs> you're going to be the James Hunt. I'm going to be the Nikki Louder, except I'm not going to be facially scarred. <laughs> I'm still going to be the good looking one. <laughs> and I mean, that's that story. This story is such a good story, right? Like the what is it? The 1976 Formula One series is when Nikki Lauda gets 74? injured. 76. 76. No, 76 is when he gets injured. It? Yeah. So he wins in okay, 75 sorry. and in 76 is when he has his his, his accident. Um, like. It's such an amazing story. You've got these two rivalries. It's set in the 70s. You know, Nicky Lauda is considered one of the greatest Formula One drivers of all time. Uh, he's won three, and he's the only driver to have won both with Ferrari and McLaren, who James Hunt is driving for in this movie when he's, I mean, after he moves off from mm-hmm. uh, Heska Racing or whatever. So you've got this like perfect story. Like you, it's, it's stranger than fiction kind of thing. And I really like the fact that a, a director like Ron Howard took it under his care 
um, and did such a fantastic job because you could have fucked this up so badly. Like you could have get what's that movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone, which is like a Formula One film. Is it called like Driver or Driven or something like that? Some a drive, yeah, a drive yeah, yeah. or driven. Yeah. Like you could have ended now, up with that. Instead, you get this beautiful, like artistic masterpiece. Now, a little bit of trivia for you. Do you know who originally brought this into development? No, I don't. Which actually. director? No, pa- Paul Greengrass. Do you know who that is? I clearly, by my facial expressions, I do not. Okay, Paul. Uh, you know. Uh, Natural, no, born ultimatum, but he actually swapped movies. So he ended up taking over Captain Phillips that Ron Howard was set to direct. And Ron Howard took over this film that he was set to direct. Didn't Captain Phillips also win like Best Picture that year? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, I'm the captain now. <laughs> I mean, oh, and that would make sense because um, what's his name there? Forrest Gump is the. Hogs. Yeah, Hanks. Fucking Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. I always forget Tom Hanks' name. I mean, and he works with Ron Howard. Uh, actually, does he work with Ron Howard? No, he works with Spielberg all the time. So, um, I mean, Captain Phillips is good. Uh, I don't know. Like, he has. He worked with. He has yeah, worked with Ron yes, Howard. Yes, on Splash. Yeah, on Splash, and on Apollo. Mm-hmm. So. Continue. Any others? Uh, it would have been some of his earlier work, I'm guessing. Okay. No, I just wanted to see how much research you actually did. Well, I so just go. go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's your. This is your fucking movie. You lead me. Oh, I, that doesn't me. make me an expert on fucking Ron Howard. I mean, so Ron Howard has two Oscar wins and two Oscar nods. Obviously, you just talked about Splash. We talked about Apollo 13. Uh, I mean, I love a couple of his films. A Beautiful Mind fucking fantastic frost nixon fucking fucking fantastic cinderella man also amazing uh he works with chris hemsworth in in the heart of the sea which was interesting i mean hemsworth was not he was shirtless most of the movie but mostly because he's like a sea captain who's lost at sea <laughs> so isn't isn't that like a, Moby Dick. a modern re- yeah i was gonna say i haven't watched that one yet yeah it's but, not bad um, also you know he he I'm surprised because out of Ron Howard's film, Tom Hanks was in the two top grossing ones, which were The Da Vinci Code and Angels and Demons. That's but you always about the money, man. Those movies were like, nah, they're fine. But I mean, but it's still it's still Ron Howard's top grossing movies. Sure. So what were you gonna say? You said you wanted to go circle back around to something to do with his like highest grossing. Yes. Movies. Now, in terms of just Ron Howard as a director, okay, um, like. I just wanted to know where he was for you in terms of like all time list of directors. And like, I can start with my opinion, like what I think of him um, and then circle back to you to what you think. I mean, I like, I like a certain type of director, Uh, Ron Howard. Like most of the time I forget, like, I, like I said, like I like uh, a bunch of those movies that like Frost Nixon and Cinderella Man and stuff like that. And I always forget that Ron Howard directed them, right? Like where I always know that Steven Spielberg did Schindler's List or Jurassic Park. You know what I mean? I always, I often forget what movies Ron Howard has directed. So I guess he's not in my top anything, but some of his films are, you know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like to me, he's, he's a brand. Like growing, going to one of his films or watching one of his films it's really, you're going to have something that's beautifully shot. 
you're going to have something with a really dr amazing dramatic close-up and it's going to entertain you but it's going to entertain you at home for me i'm like he is not one of the directors that when his films come out i'm like this is must see on the big screen like yeah. other director like uh, other directors are like but and especially now like with COVID and everything that's going on, how a lot of directors are like, my films need to be released in theater. One of the films that I really wish I could have seen in the theater, because I never saw it in the theater, I saw it at home. And out of all the films that I, I listed from him, like none of them, I mean, maybe Apollo 13, if you're in the space shit, but like it was mostly a drama as well. But this movie, this movie would have fucking given you like a massive heart on to see in the fucking theater. You know what I mean? Like way yeah, better than like, Ford, Ford versus Ferrari and stuff like that. Like just those fucking Formula One shots. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. And I 100% agree. Like I do regret not watching this in the theater because I just think the sound quality and everything like that would have been, it, it would have been like, remember, well, for all the Canadians out there, going to paramount canada's wonderland and going on the days of thunder ride, <laughs> right where you just sit there and you're like <laughs> right but like the sounds make you feel like it uh like you're in there and i think this one would have been the same for myself at least like i think i would have enjoyed it a lot more if i saw it in the theater sure but i do and like and but i was the same way as yourself like i came across this film just randomly one day and i'm like fuck it okay i'll watch it right and it didn't disappoint yeah it was like a, like one of those like uh hidden gems you know what i mean mm -hmm. it was it was the aladdin it was the diamond in the rough <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh it's edited by daniel p Han Han uh, hanley and mike hill uh, and they, between the two of them, they have one Oscar win and three nominations. They have worked on every single Ron Howard film since, um, uh, since, no, no, since night shift. Sorry. Like all the way back to the beginning of his career. So he has the same really? editing team that works on all his films all the time. And they're basically so in sync with each other as editors that they don't even necessarily like they basically edit the same so they can actually take a film and just like divide it up and they'll almost get this make the same shot choices and stuff and same positional choices which is pretty cool um i mean it's interesting like people like scorsese also work with the same editors throughout most of their career because they kind of get in they get into the same mindset and so they can mm -hmm. deliver a, a product like you know kind of um consistently i just thought that was super interesting you know what i mean yeah and um... Is that going to be your choice once you make it big? Or are you just going to use the same editor? I, you know, time? I do like the idea of doing that because I mean, if you find there's two things, you know, your, your director of photography and your editor, I find like that three person combination. Cause like one setting your visuals on the day, like on set. And the other one is like, you've got to try and, you know, be able to tell somebody like, I want this shot and this sequence but you also want someone that's good enough to go, I know what you're trying to do. And I think it should be like this. You know what I mean? Um, and I can't remember Scorsese's editor's name, uh, the woman that works with him, mm -hmm. but she, that's what she's known for is just being like, yeah, that's wrong. We're going to do it this way. And it becomes a better movie. Like, and he'll talk about it. I think even in like Goodfellas and stuff like that, like she moved some stuff around and it made it a bit. He was like, after he was like, yep, it's way better than I would have done. Maybe because he was high on cocaine. Actually, no, that was more in the, in the seventies or whatever. Um, <laughs> 
from a from a cinematic love to bring up people's faults like <laughs> hey you know this guy he had some white powder on his nose oh man <laughs> right? scorsese has a history of having like a lot of white powder under his nose so um i think it's one of the ways he was actually able to get a lot of his work done is just like because he would take on such a big workload with his films um I mean, as I've said, like the cinematography, there's just some beautiful shots. I mean, one of my favorite scenes <laughs> is right before the accident with Lauda. So he's coming out of the pits. And so the, the, the Formula One car is basically like flying off the road. You're, you're taking it from all these different angles. You're, you're seeing the car come over. Then you're seeing in the wheel wells and they're moving back and forth. So, I mean, some of that's editing. Um but the camera work is, like I said, beautiful. And like I said, like a lot of that in between the tires and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So did, how did you, did you like it from a cinematic perspective? Because I want to talk about the DOP. Oh, I did. I did like it in terms of the cinematics. Um, Do you have a specific like for me, scene one that of, like, oh yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah. I was just getting into it. was actually, it was loud as honeymoon when, you know, mm. you see them. Yes. You see them. It's just a small little ceremony at City Hall. And just before he's getting married, he's like, I'm probably going to fucking forget your birthday. <laughs> like, I'm I'm just focused on driving, but there's nobody else I would want to, like, be with except for you. And then it's like them in Ibiza, just jumping into the pool, skinny dipping. And then it's the realization shot when she's she wakes up in the bed alone and then goes downstairs and it's him just staring out the mirror and kind of like looking out at the world, but also seeing his own reflection yes. as well. And he was like, he was like happiness is the, is the enemy. He's like, once you're happy, you, I now have something to lose. Right. And it's him overcoming that little fear. And, and it's just calculated in that one shot where, he, you know, he can see the world ahead of you, but the thing that's in front of him that's stopping him is his reflection, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. love that shot. Um, I actually in that scene as well, like right before when they do that skinny dipping, they they're both naked and they're shooting like almost like underneath them on a bit of an angle, and it's this almost like dreamlike kind of like weightlessness that you see in the water, and it was just a, it's just such a beautiful shot choice, and it's so well lit. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. so the DOP is, uh, Anthony Dodd Mantle. So he's got an Oscar. Um, he did 28 days later Dogville. So he works a lot with, uh, Lars Van Trier and, um, ah, what's his name? Anyway, whatever. The guy that does 28 days later, uh, the last King of Scotland, he did Slumdog Miller, Danny Boyle, Danny Boyle. Uh, so he, he won the, he won the Oscar for cinematography on Slumdog Millionaire. And it was the first time the Oscar had been given to a film or cinematographer that had shot digitally. So that's that like transition Mm -hmm. between film and digital. And so he's the first one to get, uh, a digital, an Oscar on digital filmmaking. And he really leaned into the idea of like taking the camera off the tripod and stuff like that, or off of the steady cam. And like, if you think of like 28 days later, that like kind of like jerky moving camera in play camera action, he's kind of one of the pioneers and like one of the cinematographers that really leaned into that. And I mean, you can see it in, mm-hmm. in, in rush, right? Again, those, those low angle shots between the tires and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. he did a fantastic job. I agree with you. I agree with you. Now, in terms of performances, like to me, Daniel, 
Daniel Bruhl like yeah. stole this movie. Sure, hundred percent. Which, which, which I think also is super weird that he wasn't nominated for any acting in like for the Oscars. Yeah, but he did. Film. He did get a BAFTA. He got a BAFTA nod for it. Yeah, but I'm just saying it never continued. It just like hit there, and then that was it, right? Well, and just on that point, it's interesting because this film uh, got. I don't know if it actually got any Oscar nominations. Like it got three. Ba- I've got my notes say three BAFTA nods and one win for editing. Um, but maybe I have that wrong. Maybe those were Oscar nominations. But I was pretty sure that that it didn't win any Oscars. Uh, no, I don't think it was nominated at all for for Oscars themselves. That's what I'm saying. I think it ended at the BAFTAs, and that was it. Like no Academy Awards whatsoever. Which which is surprising to me. Is yeah, because it, it seems like it was one of those like one of those performances that were just like okay, you know, like he's here, kind of thing, and then it just like got, I guess. Well, and his act, his, I, I, you know, and I actually really like Chris Hemsworth's, I, I, I think he almost like got undervalued in the fact that he plays, like I've seen some footage of James Hunt and he looks like James, like, it's almost like he looked so much like James Hunt that they were like, oh, it's not really acting, but it's like, he's still acting like this other guy. You know what I mean? Like both of those guys made this film. Like really this film is like just Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Bruhl. Uh, you know, I know Olivia Wilde and like Natalie Dormer's in it and some other people, but like Olivia Wilde basically is got a little cameo role playing as, uh, Susie Miller's ex-wife. Right. So, um, do you know who was supposed to be in it? No. So, uh, Russell Crowe, there's that, cause I mean, his wife, sorry, um, James Hunt's wife leaves him for Richard Burton, like the famous actor and stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? And so there was supposed to actually be a scene where James Hunt conf- confronts Richard Burton and Russell Crowe was actually supposed to play Richard Burton. I'm like, oh, that would actually be kind of cool. It's too bad they didn't actually go through with that. You know what I mean? Well, it could have just, was it just scheduling that didn't happen or? Or maybe they just decided, I, I never found out like whether it was scheduling or if it was sort of like in conceptual phase, they were like, they were going to do that. And then it got dropped and then it just, it, it didn't even get to the, to the set or whatever. You're, right. You're still waiting for Ron Howard to get back to you. Just haven't replied to your email yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like I said, uh, this, this film did okay. Money wise, it comes in at two hours. It's 123 minutes long. How did you feel about pacing? Yeah, I thought, like, start to finish, it, it encapsulates you. Like, t- the time is never a factor. You're never like, fuck, is this going to end? You know, like, this is perfect, large popcorn, large drink. You'll finish it by the end and then go to the bathroom kind of movie. Yeah. Like, you never have to worry that you're, you're going to have to, like, piss yourself to miss something. But I think all in all, it, it was... It is, I think, within the last decade, one of the one of the better films that was released mm-hmm. at the during this time frame, right? Hundred percent. Um, it's unfortunate too. Like both Nikki Lauda and James Hunt uh, have now passed away. Uh, James Hunt died at forty five years old from a heart attack in like nineteen ninety five. Like he was super super young, died in his sleep. Um, and Nikki Lauda died just uh, like a year and a half ago in two thousand nineteen. It's, it's, yeah, because we're in 2021. I always forget what fucking year we're in because of COVID. Um, 
Yeah, he was 70. <laughs> he had some like complications and stuff. I'm 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 sure all the trauma that he went through uh after his accident probably did not help. You know what I mean? Well, but, he he did live a full life, right? Sure, like, but this I mean this guy like was on like, fire. He, start... he, was, <laughs> he was basically on yes. fire. Yeah, yes. And you know, in terms of the scene in the movie where that actor or where the interviewer actually asked him the question about his face and how that's going to affect his, you know, his married life. That was actually asked of him. Like that was actually happened, but he went on, I think from my research, like he started an aviation company, three, three aviation companies. (laughs) And which when he retired, from formula one he was actually one of the pilots that would fly the planes right like he oh for the drivers <laughs> yeah That's like fucking uh, like awesome it, it, you could have been like if you're on lauda air um you could have wherever you're flying to like nikki lauda could have been the pilot that was flying you from wherever germany to austria or something austria. like that I, I, yeah like wherever it could have been him which would have been amazing i know researching this movie too he he loved it he said it was pretty much he thought daniel Bruhl portrayed him perfectly he goes that's how like that's me that's how i am and he goes his one regret was that james hunt wasn't alive to to see the film because he thought james hunt would have got a fucking kick oh i'm sure as well well imagine being like so chris hemsworth playing you but you're almost like the cooler guy because you are real like the shit you did in the 70s was fucking baller you know what i mean yeah you know but do you know well the the nicky louder does have a cameo in this film at the end you see him well is there are you when talking, he's older yeah 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 okay it's him older uh but do you know that james hunt also had a cameo in this film oh how how so do you know when they're after he the character wins the uh, Grand Prix and he's doing those commercials. Yeah. That's actually James Hunt voice in the commercial with just Chris Hemsworth. Oh, that's super cool. When it's like, you know, Pennzoil, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it was actually his voice. And then they just dubbed or dubbed over Hemsworth. That's awesome. That's really cool that they did that. Um, yeah, man. So, and you know that, like, the sex, the breakfast of champions, the, like, what did, that was actually, like, that, that was fucking actually what, because they didn't have any sponsors or anything. That was actually on his racing suit. I'm like, I want that on a fucking t-shirt is what I want. <laughs> All right, there um, you go. Make it happen. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I love this movie. I actually, I might even go rewatch it again tonight, and I just watched it a couple days ago. It's just so beautifully shot. It's a super fun film. I recommend it to everybody. You don't have to like racing films. Um, you don't have to like super serious dramas. It's super entertaining. It's really beautiful to watch. Um, yeah, that's kind of all I've got, man. And you got if you don't have anything else, uh, I mean, you can always take us out of here. Yeah, the, uh, one thing I will say, they did have one goof in this movie. What's that? that I noticed? Uh, all the racing things got Nicky Lauda wrong because they put him in terms of country, a U S. Oh, okay. Which is Australia. Aust- which is Australia <laughs> instead of Austria. Austria. <laughs> That's a huge fuck up, man. <laughs> <laughs>
And that is our rant for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking to get a hold of us, please go to our website at howdoyoulikethatmovie.com. All our social media links are there, and you can email us as well. And the, the funny thing, too, with, like, fucking Ron Howard, like, it was exactly what you were saying like going back and looking at his filmography there's so many movies of his that i like but i don't realize he's the one that directed it 100 like parenthood like parenthood fucking backdraft ransom yep i was like fuck those are all good movies but it's the same thing like i don't know what it is if it's just because he's redheaded and they're Hollywood's just like, fuck it, he's the redheaded stepchild, like, we'll pay him. He'll make movies, but we're not gonna we're not gonna glorify him. <laughs> Production by Rod Shaver, Vader Monkey Productions.